all good, baby, baby. Uh, it was all so if you're ready to break the generational cycle of poverty, revolving prison doors, and a lack of education that's holding us all back, then now's the time to do something about it. So to move from gutter to greatness, it all begins with a change in mindset. Here's your host, Dr. Paul Miller. Welcome, 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 everybody. We are here at the third episode of The Gutter to Greatness. I am your host, Dr. Paul Miller, and we are going to be talking about a, a real deal topic today, prison doors closing. And prison doors closing could be literal or it could be figurative because the prison doors closing, especially on those black males, is uh, happening too soon. Too much, too often, too frequent, all the time. It just is happening. You know, I guess one in every three black males can be expected to be locked up or go to prison within their lifetime. That's something serious that I think we all need to take a look at. So, you know, we're going to take a look at that today. And, and it's more about, again, it's going to come back down to us, to our mindsets, even though systems are stacked up against us. But, you know, I'm going to start with some thoughts when I ask are you keeping it real? How many times have you heard that said, that someone says, and what does that mean? Are you keeping it real? Are you are you real? I'm a real ass ninja. So what does that mean when you're a black man? And so I've heard, you heard black men say all the time, I'm a real ass ninja. And you can replace it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And what's so crazy is, is that we define ourselves that way, but how does society define us? So let's think about it. Let's talk about it for a little while. You know, and society defines us. If, if I had to speculate on how society defines us and put some adjectives to that, I would say they look at us as lazy, over-sexualized, violent, threatening, impoverished drug dealers who are good athletes and absentee fathers. I think the only thing that they thought we did well in there is uh, athletics and maybe I missed entertainers. And those pieces, that's scary. That's really, really scary to me. Is that not scary to anybody else who's listening? That's how society, in my perspective, defines us and thinks that of who we are. You know, and then you think about it in violent. I think I've, I've quoted this statistic before, but there was a survey that surveyed white folks and they said that 40% of black men are viewed as violent. 40% say that that many or all black men are violent, which is, is crazy to me because there's so many, we're not monolithic. There's so many varieties of mentalities and thoughts and people. But as a whole, if that's the way society is viewing this, doesn't it make sense why we're getting locked up? They're afraid of you. They're afraid of us. Being afraid, you know, think about it. What are you afraid of? So I'm afraid of, you know, I'm really afraid of spiders. I don't like spiders. I don't like snakes. I'm not a bug person. I'll scream and yell like a little, you know what, and hop up on, hop on the counter and run away and get someone else to kill it. And it ain't going to be me. <laughs> so being afraid, though, usually means you don't understand. 
because there's people who understand spiders and snakes and handle them all day. They handle them because they have a deep understanding and they're not afraid. They're not running from it. And then fight or flight's not kicking in. So they're not either trying to squash them, kill them, or run away from them. They're embracing. They're understanding. They see them as beautiful. But how often is society seeing us as beautiful and understanding and empathizing and believing in, in us? No, they're afraid. So they fight or flight. You know, and that looks different in, in different times, in different days. But today, often that fight is officers arresting us because they're afraid, because they don't know how to handle or how to deal. And it's always, it's pretty stacked against. Or then the flight is, is being scared that you're shooting first and asking questions later. Those are things that are happening and happen today in our society. And so many times, you know, it's because that's the way society views us. So they handle us accordingly. You know, and, and is that being a real-ass ninja or is being lazy, over-sexualized, violent, threatening, impoverished drug dealer who is a good athlete, maybe an entertainer, and maybe an absentee father, is that being real? You know, or, or sometimes, you know, what's interesting is, you know, you're real if you're not going to snitch. And I get so tired of kids and stupid-ass definitions of, of what snitching is and isn't. And, and you know, and... and Snitching, if you want to define snitching, snitching is is more about if you commit a crime with somebody and then you decide to tell on them, that is a snitch. You have to be in the act of committing a crime with them and snitching on them or in that act too. Or you have to, or snitching might also be a definition of you're not involved in it and you decide to tell on somebody and you don't have anything to do with it. You know, that that would probably be snitching too. But snitching is not, you get abused, you get beat up, you get robbed. And then you say, I can't tell. I can't talk to law enforcement because that's snitching. That's not snitching. You were a victim. You were a victim of a crime. But that same mentality is part of what keeps us down. But that's what the systems want. Are we who they say we are? Are you who they say they are? If you want to move from that gutter to greatness, we can't continue to be who they say we are. We have to believe differently. We're not who we say they we're not who we say they are. I just said that wrong, didn't I? <laughs> I said we are not who they say we are. Right. There we go. Because we're not who they say we are. But the system wants us to be because they want to assure that black families don't unite and that black men are continue to be emasculated and kept down. I mean, we've walked through timelines of historical context of the black man being beaten, killed, pulled out of the house. It developed into us of what society wants. But if you keep doing it, you know, it's like it's shame on me if, you know, what's it, what is it? The first time it's, it's shame on uh, you. But if I keep letting you do it, it's shame on me. Like, where do we realize that it's us and that we're falling into these cycles and these traps? And these traps are crazy. You know, I, there's this, this show. I, no, I love the show. I know there's got to be other people who love this show, too. Uh, but Snowfall, the last final season, I think it was season six. You watched, there was a character, his name was Franklin Saint, and you watched the progression of his character go from this humble, mild-mannered, just young man who was pretty much genius to this 
really detrimental to society drug dealer who was killing people that was more worried about money than any type of value and he was so stuck in that and had polluted the community so much and that it just turned out and didn't turn out well and there was a loose dramatization off of the real life uh rick ross so not oh, big beach larry hoover not him but the real life, Ricky Ross, you know, it was interesting. I met him one time. So I was in Dallas and I was with a friend of mine and we were in Dallas going to, uh, I don't even remember. It was like a swap meet type of area. And, uh, you know, we just, I, I like bumped into him, the real life Ricky Ross after he got out. I think what he served, 22, 25 years. And, you know, it was interesting. But the snowfall is based off of his life. And he, it's a whole dramatization, but the the real facts of it all is there's a lot of truth in it is that the drugs were planted into our communities and he was used as a pawn because of what he wanted to achieve and he wanted to help take care of himself his family he wanted to be able to provide he wanted a different type of life and so he turned to what he thought could be profitable which was drugs and so as he grew the government helped fund that they fund the drugs and told them that we'll protect you and we'll do everything for you as long as it's profitable for us and we can fund the war in Nicaragua. So we can we can use the drugs to get more money and to do what we got to do to fund the wars and we'll let you go. But then when you're not useful to us anymore, we'll come back after you. So in the process of all this, you know, he's trying to be an entrepreneur, a businessman, and that's his mindset. And his mindset was that of one of trying to get it and grow and be bigger and then transition over real estate and do other things that would get him out of the gutter. But his mindset didn't become ungutified. It, it became more, more gutter, more gritty, more grimy. And this cycle continued and he was stuck in it. And when he was stuck in it, he ended up hurting a lot of people. I mean, he flooded the community with drugs. He flooded the community and not only he made zombies out of communities, he made other people try to compete and do it better than he was doing it. I mean, it was, you know, the story was interesting and I love a good gangster story. You know, obviously I'm a gangster and a gentleman, you know, but it's also about trying to progress and move your mindset forward to do things a little bit differently. And he didn't really uh, help our community in that sense and really, really hurt our communities and so the drugs spread throughout the different cities. I think it went from where they went from California to Arkansas to other places. And it was like, and then it came with more drugs, gangs fighting for territory over the drugs and just continued to perpetuate this cycle that is almost like never ending that, you know, it was bound to happen and, and it's been happening for years, but the government helped fund that. The government, and then they put in mandatory minimum sentences because all of the violence and everything that was happening behind the drugs. So they wanted to get rid of us, and then they made sure that they put policies in place to do so. So if it was a setup, and we know it's a setup, why do we continue to fall into the cycles? The cycles are real. We want. I know we want to feed our families. I know we want to have good lives. I know we want to continue to motivate, but we're staying on white America's hamster wheel. So if we're going to stay on white America's hamster wheel and just running in circles and doing the same things, that keeps us going nowhere and going nowhere fast. Uh, you know, I, I just saw a meme on Instagram where 
they showed the incomes of of all different groups by ethnicity, and I think Indians were had the highest net worth, so the highest income per capita, and and but Black Americans had the lowest net worth or lowest lowest incomes of on average of about thirty five thousand dollars to to the Indian person's hundred thousand dollars. You know, there's just a differential, but it's about breaking that. And it's about breaking the cycle and not being imprisoned and imprisoned of the mind. You know, I've never been to prison. I've never been locked up. And, you know, I've had some scares where I probably could have been and, and did some things as a youth that where I probably should have been. And the the lucky thing is, is that, um, you know, I've, God has always blessed me with hearing that voice. And I was able to stop doing whatever I was doing before I got caught or got into a place where I couldn't point of no return to where I did get arrested and where, you know, it was that final last straw and, and God have has allowed me grace. And that grace is like, I need to do something with that grace. And because of that, you know, I want to help others change their mindset. But you think about it. So I think about something so simple. Like you think about like, you know, when kids and or kids wear their pants and they wear their pants below their behind and they're sagging. You know, one, it really looks like, because nobody wants to see your ass and your little doodle stains on the back of your pants, like, you know, or whatever. That's, that's just disgusting. Like, pick your pants up, you know, but where does that come from? And when I talk to kids or I tell people about it, you know, they're like, oh, man. But can you think about it differently? Because it's a mindset. Again, it goes to to a mindset of being ingrained. And think about how that's happening and that continues to happen currently. Or your favorite rapper's on stage with his pants, you know, tied below his waistline or what? I don't understand why or, or whatever, but maybe I'm getting old, but I, I didn't like it when I was 19 and so i damn sure don't like it now but where does it come from so when you ask somebody they usually say oh that comes from prison that comes from prison culture and they don't understand that where do you think prison culture got it from so in the prison representation it was supposed to be about you know your mind if your parents were low like that and you got them below your behind that you're mine you're, you're like so why would that be okay? And so as black people, we often have a, a way of, of turning something that's bad into something that's good. Like, okay, they call us the N-word, and then, so we're going to call each other that, and let's take the power away from it. So we're going to, our pants sagging, you know, and where it really came from, even though most people don't know, and I'll tell you in a minute, we, now we uh, wear our pants like that, because we're going to take the power back. And and we're gonna we're going to take the power back and and empower ourselves by wearing our pants like that and make it cool, make it fashionable, so that white kids are doing it too. They're like that isn't that just silly? Like that that's not empowering. That's not you know that's you need to elevate, motivate, do something powerful. And what's interesting is is that at least to me it's interesting is that where this really comes from is a term called breaking the buck. Look it up. Google it. Breaking the buck was when the slave master used to want to break the slave and they would take the black man in front of people and they would emasculate him by pulling his pants down, sodomizing. Yeah, so putting in your booty and sodomizing you and doing what they wanted to do to you 
and taking advantage of you. And then they wouldn't allow you, beating you to a pulp. And they wouldn't allow you to pull your pants up because they wanted to show everybody that you were theirs. And they wanted to emasculate you and wanted you to walk around like that so that everyone knows that you have, that your body is theirs and that your mind was theirs as well because psychologically you were damaged and you couldn't do anything different. But yet that comes through today. So in prison, they want to show that they're theirs. And then now, whose are we when we're out in the free world and we're doing that? But that's about a mindset. And when those prison doors are closing, they're closing a lot of times because our mindset has stayed the same and we're not willing to change it. You know, like we know that somewhere between six to, I think, using the numbers of 18-year-olds and up, about six to eight percent of the population are black males. But 33% of the black men are incarcerated or more. Black men have the lowest graduation rates and also the lowest proficiency rates in reading and math or any any population out there. Like I said, one in every three black boys will be sentenced to prison. And we could blame the system, like the system set up Rick Ross, but Rick Ross made a choice. He made a choice and he fell into the cycle. He ran on that hamster wheel. But when do you stop running on the hamster wheel? When is it time to change your mindset? So next episode, we're going to talk about mindset and we're going to talk about what it takes to move from the gutter to greatness and changing that mindset. But, you know, I think of a, a young man that, you know, I caught, I got a text from a gentleman I worked with and he was saddened by it. And he sent me a picture of a former student. And I'm just, the student's last name, we go by last name. So the student's name is Mr. Brown. And so Mr. Brown had him for the whole four years of his high school career, a decent athlete. He was one of those kids that kind of wanted to be accepted, tried to play tough guy, kind of a little, little Billy Badass-ish at times, but really was a good kid, had a good spirit, a good soul, knew right from wrong, but didn't always choose to act on it, was capable academically, athletically could have been greater later if he would have put the work in, was a decent football player, and well around, all around just nice kid. You know, but Mr. Brown went through four years of high school and where we're at, we built systems that work for kids that look like us. Right. And we did things to hold the hand and make sure they got through. And, you know, he was sometimes a difficult student because of more of his attitude. And and then he was one of those that, you know, his mom would come in and she would sell some wolf tickets, you know, like she would act like she don't play and she would say she don't play and maybe she didn't play. But she also was one who who did a little bit of enabling, you know, and respect to her because, you know, she did the best that she could. But she did a little bit of enabling, like her baby could only do so much wrong. You call me once, I got you. You call me twice, I got you. But when he calls me and tells me that y'all ain't telling the truth, even though we were, I'm going to stick up for him. And that's my baby. So I'm going to love him. And I'm going to love him. And I love him so much that I enable some of his behaviors, right? So he was that type of kid. And we got a lot of Mr. Browns in our community, unfortunately. But we got through high school. And as he went through high school, he got stronger. And when I say got stronger, he got better, where he started to separate himself from some foolishness. He started to do some of the things that, you know, that would be in line with a scholar. 
you, you know, and, and he started to take school a little more seriously, he started to get in trouble a little bit less, started to concentrate more on sports, and just really was focused to the point where, you know, could have went to school and, and probably played at a Division three level if he would put the work in, but academically and, you know, and, and decent kid. Went through, graduated high school. One thing that really disappointed me, though, is he graduated right after the pandemic hit. So I think it was, uh, when was it, 2020 when the pandemic hit? And he was, uh, we were virtual. So everything was virtual. And they really weren't, nobody was coming back into school. And nobody was allowed. Everything was kind of, you know, out of the way. Everything had to be online. And everybody was scared. We all were scared, trying to keep people safe. And so we had that first graduation. We had during COVID, we had a graduation during COVID. And we tried to do everything to make it as normal. I think we had a a drive-by, like, pep rally for them or something to celebrate graduation. And then we had an online virtual graduation. And what he didn't understand is, like, this was what the board recommended. This is what everybody was recommending is not to put people back in person you know, whatever. We went with it. It was right at the heat of the beginning of the pandemic. It was like June of, of 2020, just announced the pandemic back in March. And, you know, everything stayed around for a while. So we were virtual, went through the whole graduation ceremony, and he was online with a few other young men that just decided to really ruin the graduation ceremony because they felt entitled and like it wasn't enough done for them. And I think he said later, oh, like all the hard work we did and that's all we get, you know, and that attitude, not having an attitude of gratitude was often something that you would get from this young man. He didn't appreciate all the hard work that had went into doing something and trying to move from what we did before to what it was now. And yeah, he was an adolescence. And so adolescence brain developed differently. And so his logic wasn't logical, but they were cursing during graduation. They were doing all kinds of just inappropriate gestures and things that were just inappropriate and, and just, you know, really ruined some of the graduation there and chose not to focus on that so much. Flash forward, get a picture of him and a news story saying that he's, which I think he was working for the city. I don't think he really did the college thing the way he was supposed to. So much potential. Like this young man definitely could have done four years of college, been an athlete, been successful, changed his future, changed his life. But his mindset didn't ever change. And he was kind of enabled and he was like mentally weak, but physically strong. And part of that mindset is why now I see that he is doing 12 years in prison for attempted murder. 12 years in prison is what the news story said. Again, 12 years in prison for attempted murder. And because he decided to just not change his mindset and make the right decisions, even though he had everything he needed to do it. And that was a choice. So you are in control of changing your narrative. You do not have to be one out of three black men. We can change those stories and statistics. And so, you know, just for the mindfulness moment before we close out this show, we have to care and we have to be conscious. If you knew better, you do better. So if you know, and you're out there listening to this, and you hear what I'm saying to you, you got to do better. You have to change your mind. We do not have to be a statistic. We need to be graduates and bosses. We need to be educated. We need our, our powerful weapon. The violence that we that they need to be afraid of is our brain. 
and be afraid of how much we can achieve if we decide to change our mentalities and make education our priority. And so we're going to talk about how to do that next episode and changing your mindset. So that has been, again, our episode with the prison doors closing. I am your host, Dr. Paul Miller. Until next episode, let's work on being greater later. Peace. That's it for today's episode. So head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing for a $25,000 private epic VIP day with Dr. Miller himself. Be sure to head on over to guttertogreatness.com and pick up a free copy of Dr. Miller's gift and join us on the next episode. <laughs>